You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa. Hello, Cleveland food fans. Welcome to the CLE Foodcast. Thanks to all of you who are listening. We've reached episode number 10, and I'm having a blast talking with the people who grow, make, and share local food. I hope you're enjoying each and every interview. Today, I'm speaking with Daniel Brown, a co-founder of Rust Belt Riders, a company that is working to change how we think about food waste. Rust Belt Riders is on a mission to feed people, not landfills, and we all have a part to play in that goal. But first, I'm going to tell you about Yellow House Cheese, the award-winning cheesemakers of Seville, Ohio, and a sponsor of the CLE Foodcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in local food, just like me. Farm to table isn't just a buzzy, trendy phrase. It's how we live and how we spend our money. Yellow House Cheese has partnered with other Ohio family farms to bring you a quick and easy online shopping portal with everything from meat to mushrooms and eggs to greens. The list changes with the seasons, just like nature intended. They make it possible to order only what you want in quantities that make sense for your household. And everything is from Ohio Farms. Just go to yellowhousecheese.com to get started. New items to shop are posted every Tuesday and deliveries are made on Saturday. Choose from five pickup locations. One is near you. So visit yellowhousecheese.com for Ohio Farm food direct to you. Today's guest is Daniel Brown, one of the co-founders of Rust Belt Riders and Tilth Soils, a sister company. Since 2014, Rust Belt Riders has been offering clean and convenient food waste collection and composting services. More than 40% of our food ends up in landfills, and that's why the RBR team hopes that someday composting will feel as natural and essential as recycling. You know those food scraps that you left on your plate at your favorite restaurant? Well, those are probably destined to become tilth soil, and maybe, just maybe, those food scraps will help someone's garden grow. Think about it. Hey, Dan, it is great to connect with you again on the CLE Foodcast. How's it going? It's been going pretty well. We've been busy uh, adjusting to now being in full spring mode, entering summer mode, uh, and yeah, just trying to figure out what the next couple months are going to look like for us. Yeah, I don't want to assume this, but is summer busier for you? I mean, there's garbage and waste and composting really all year long, but what's different about summer? So the there isn't too much seasonality around the food waste collections arm of our work, but uh, we recently introduced Tilth Soil, our line of soil products to the market. And there's just sort of naturally a, a greater rate of adoption in early part of the year when farmers are buying and then in early spring when home gardeners are buying. So now is our time and opportunity to reach back out to those that have purchased our products and see how it's working for them uh, as we plan for the next year to come. Okay, well, that makes sense. Well, we're probably a little bit ahead of ourselves. So if you and I, now we know each other a little bit, so we're starting with some foundational knowledge of each other. I've actually purchased... I think it's four bags now of tilth soil and I've used them for my potted plants, for my patio pots. It's going really well. I mean, stuff's growing great. But if you and I were just meeting for the first time, like if you and I were sitting next to each other in an Indians game and we're in a lull because, you know, they're just not scoring and I turn to you and we start to talk and I go, well, what do you do? What is that answer? 
Oh man, it's it's changed. It changes year to year. It seems like, uh, but in short, you know, I I'm a part of an amazing team that helps to provide people uh, and businesses with an alternative to landfills for their food scraps, uh, and then we make awesome compost from that, which goes into blends that we help uh, hope helps make people growing more of their own food a little bit easier. Uh, it's this idea of closing loops for people, reconnecting people to where their food comes from and having people consider where it goes to as well. Yeah, that was a great elevator pitch, but there's a lot in there to unpack. Yeah. So we're going to try to do it. We basically uh, provide services to people and businesses. Uh, we think that food scraps should never go to landfills. And so, uh, Oftentimes in, in the United States and particularly in Northeast Ohio, most people uh, are forced to landfill their food scraps. Uh, and by landfill, I mean that is just the de facto uh, place that that waste goes. We don't necessarily view food as waste ever. Uh, food is a resource. Food should be consumed. Food should be enjoyed. Uh, we should have a intimate relationship with our food. Um, and we feel like we discredit the farmers uh, and the chefs that work diligently to prepare this food for us. All of that work gets squandered when we send it to landfill. So what we're trying to demonstrate for people and for our community is that if you simply begin viewing food as a resource, um, it will be that much more hard to, to conceive of it going to a landfill where it can't provide any beneficial use to uh, people or our community. And so the benefits that we see uh, food producing are in the making of new healthy soil that can help people reconnect with, with food, with plants, with herbs, and try you know, either growing some themselves uh, or supporting farmers that are using sound agricultural uh, approaches. I was thinking about this conversation yesterday because I was in my kitchen and I had some really great strawberries that Purple Brown Farmstead grew. And... I'm getting ready to make some jam because I have some frozen rhubarb from Farmer Jones Farm. And I was, you know, removing the tops of the strawberries, the little, the little green stems and everything. And, you know, in some cases, slicing off the tops, right? Making sure I don't waste too much of the berry because a lot of people do that. And, you know, I was thinking about it like, okay, am I really making an impact if I don't toss them in the garbage, which is very easy to do because it's right there? And I choose to, you know, put them in my, what I call my garbage bowl. And I walk it outside to my composter that's behind my shed. And I toss it in there and hope that all the bugs that live in there don't come out and get me. Am I really making an impact when that happens? You know, tell me yeah. why I should continue making that choice. Absolutely. So I, I think there's a, a few things to be said here, right? First is that I think a lot of the ways that we have been conditioned to think about what it is to be green or what it is to be an environmentalist often involve expensive high-tech stuff like Teslas and solar panels and wind turbines. But for the vast majority of people, that's a pretty inaccessible starting point for beginning to see yourself as part of the climate solution. Um, but everybody eats, right? So lots of attention has been given to the environmental benefits of farm to table eating and knowing where your food comes from. But a missing link for us is, has always been people don't often think about where their food ends up going. And so uh, in the United States, the single largest component of what comprises our landfills is food or stuff that can be composted. The reason that that's so detrimental environmentally 
is because um, when food or other compostable material goes to landfills, it doesn't have access to break down in a way that it would in nature. It doesn't have access to the oxygen that it needs to, to break down properly. Uh, and when organic material finds itself in that kind of environment, it emits methane, which is a exceedingly potent greenhouse gas that is a massive accelerator of runaway climate change. Mm -hmm. And so when you are forced to acknowledge a banana peel or strawberry tops or coffee grounds, you have the option to send it to landfill where it will emit methane, or you have this alternative that we uh, work with people to adopt, uh, which is composting that material. Uh, when you compost that material, you're not only avoiding those harmful methane emissions that accelerate climate change, but you're creating uh, healthy soil, which by its very nature helps to sequester carbon. So it's like you're, you're not doing something just less bad, but you're doing something good. And then in addition to that, like you're connecting with community gardens and supporting a small business and are becoming part of a community that's invested in this kind of infrastructure that we think should be more ubiquitous, uh, certainly across Northeast Ohio, but more broadly across Ohio and our country as well. Yeah, you know, we've done a pretty good job in the last decade or so of knowing where our food comes from. It comes down to marketing a little bit, right? Like the farmers had this great run, you know, and farm markets and everything. So now I feel like what you guys are doing is you're saying, well, no, it just doesn't end with that. It doesn't, you need to think about where it comes from, how I use it, and then what I do with it afterward. And your point is that it can all go back into the cycle in a very holistic way. And, you know, if we all do our part in theory, we actually can make climate change impact and some other uh, impact on sustainable things right in our neighborhood, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, the in many ways, we're, we're just scraping the surface with our work because of the scale and scope of food waste nationally. But on a really like a tangible level, uh, this year we estimate that we'll keep around 4.8 million pounds of food from going to landfills. Hmm. All of that material otherwise would be uh, accelerating runaway climate change. Uh, mm -hmm. But instead is helping to create new soils for a region that desperately needs it. It is helping to protect our, our Great Lakes, our rivers, and providing farmers and home gardeners with an exceedingly high quality medium that they can plant in that doesn't require artificial chemicals and fertilizers. So you're improving air, air quality, water quality, you're supporting a local economy, and you're turning what otherwise would be a waste stream into a resource that can't really be exported all that far uh, mm -hmm. and is really designed and, and thoughtfully sort of crafted to best serve the needs of our region's uh, gardeners and, and farmers. Well, so what you're saying is all extremely logical. Like it makes sense. Like I, I'm going like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally behind it. So what keeps people, for, I know you don't speak for everyone, but you encounter a lot of folks that call and inquire about your home service. You have businesses working with you to, you know, restaurants and other food makers um, reaching out to you uh, so that you can help them remove the waste that, again, that they'd probably just throw away. But uh, what are the barriers? Why aren't people just doing this? Like, why, why doesn't everybody have a compost pile in their backyard? Is it laziness? Is it just not really understanding all of the benefits? What do you think it is? Yeah, it's it's multifaceted, right? I think that for a lot of people, it's new, right? So there's curiosity of, can I compost this or that? 
and what you can compost at home is different than what you can compost with us. Um, but the thing I like reminding people of is recycling was new at one point as well, right? And we learned how to do that, albeit it needs, still needs improvement. Uh, but there wasn't always the blue bin, right? And what we want to invite people to consider is what, what could our community look like if everybody had a green bin? right, where, where composting was normalized, right? What would that look like? And I think that we're really trying to model the very best of what that could look like because mm -hmm. there have been people that have done this before. There will be people who do this after us. Mm -hmm. um, and there are people that do this across the country in a lot of different ways. Um, but growing up working in restaurants, uh, there are a lot of barriers, right? Cooks uh, have a lot on their plate and a lot to, to deal with. Uh, so we needed to find a way to deliver a service that didn't add new work to people. Uh, we needed to provide a service that was exceedingly clean, because I think that a lot of people have fears or apprehensions that, well, if I compost, I'm going to attract bugs and pests. But what we like to remind people of is that if you're generating food waste today, it's just going into your garbage can, right? And so it's not as though you're going to get rid of that. You're just putting it into a receptacle that was designed to have food scraps. And so, you know, I think cleanliness is a big, big thing for us. We swap out every bin that we ever service. And so we like to joke that if you can tell us the last time your dumpster was power washed with biodegradable soap, you'll get our service free for a year. <laughs> but, um, but the fact of the matter is we want people to engage and, and grapple with the amount of food waste that they're generating because the simple act of observing that what you're throwing away should lead to some behavior modifications that say, maybe I don't spring for the buy one, get one arugula if I never make it through one packet, right? Um, and and thinking about meal planning and thinking about uh, maybe shopping a little bit more often, uh, but optimizing to avoid waste where it's possible. I think another barrier is there's cost to our services, right? Um, we charge for our services um, so that we can pay living dignified wages so that we can invest in the infrastructure that our local governments aren't. We want to get to a place where we can form public-private partnerships with municipalities, for example, or our county, for example, wherein your tax dollars are subsidizing more responsible waste management practices instead of very detrimental waste management practices, right? Your tax dollars pay for that landfill. Your mm -hmm. tax dollars pay for that recycling service that is questionably effective, right? And those often create harmful public health impacts, whereas an investment in a service like ours that could make composting as normal as recycling or landfilling would have a myriad of positive externalities, right? We could we could envision municipalities buying all of their compost from food scraps that they've picked up and planting more trees in them, mm -hmm. uh, or finding a way to subsidize farmers that are adopting uh, sound agricultural practices that improve air and water quality, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we think that there's a role to play um, to really reach scale through public-private partnerships. We see this kind of model happening across the country. And we see that you get higher rates of adoption when you can move as many barriers as possible. We mm -hmm. never want price to be a barrier, uh, but we acknowledge that we still need to be making these kinds of infrastructure investments if we're to continue to expand both access to and the processing of food waste uh, alternatives in our community. It seems to me that, you know, like I live in Brexville and there's a Brexville community garden. Um, it seems to me that any municipality that has a community garden would 
really smart. It would be smart to have a, a compost program set up for that. I think that would be an extra benefit. It, again, it just makes sense. Are you working with any municipalities in that way? Yeah, so we're we're actively pursuing a USDA grant right now uh, in collaboration with a couple of different municipalities. Um, Shaker is the one that we're working most closely with. But we also have really strong relationships with the city of Lakewood and the city of Cleveland. And the idea here is that we want to we want to establish a pilot program that can really demonstrate what would this look like at scale, right? What would it look like if you had three city blocks that got service for free for a year and then was able to get that compost back at low or no cost, right? Um, what kind of behavior, other behavior changes would that uh, bring about? Because we know that we need to reach this critical mass of adoption in order to see, ha have communities really enjoy some of the economic benefits that we think can come alongside a more coordinated outreach effort. Right mm -hmm. now, we have around 1600 households that use either our pickup or drop off service. And that's amazing, um, but it's scattered. It's it's across, you know, perhaps the whole county. And mm -hmm. so what we're trying to figure out is how can we pilot uh, a program that demonstrates what this can look like at scale, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we need uh, government partners really to to allow us to reach that critical mass and, and turning point because uh, we think that this should be totally normal for every everyone. Yeah, you know, you guys in my in my neighborhood uh, Facebook page, you guys were a topic of discussion recently. There's, you know, let's call it 20 of us that are, you know, in tune with um, environmental things. We we back up to the national park. There's just an awareness. I think I think Brexville as a community is largely aware of the riches, the environmental riches that we have here. But in my neighborhood in particular, we we have a swath of of some national park behind us. And um, so there's several of us that think about it, but it was a topic of conversation recently. Someone in the neighborhood offered to pick up food scraps and compost. And then someone else said, well, you know, Rust Belt Riders does that. And it sort of turned into this thing. And people just couldn't get their arms around the fact that it was that it costs money. Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of just it died. A, it died an agonizingly slow death. And and that's just kind of dumb. I mean, like I compost, but I don't compost as well as I could because, you know, I have to walk multiple steps to go do. I got to take the lid off. I have a rock on top of it because, you know, things have gotten in it. But I love the victory of like stirring it up and just seeing, you know, how everything does. But it does take a little bit of planning, a little bit of thought. Like you have to think about what you're putting in there, what you don't put in there, the mixture of brown and green and all that. But I took a class, just a one, just an evening class. I think it was with the city of Middleburg Heights walked away with a, you know, a little backyard composter. It's not my, it's not the best composter, but it works. I am so much more conscious as a result of when that sad arugula gets pushed to the back and then it turns all green and slimy. And then I'm angry at myself because I've wasted it. I'm so much better being cognizant about using my meat, you know, any meat that I buy, because, you know, I'm connecting it to an animal. I'm connecting it to a life. And I've just made a pact with myself that I'm not going to waste a hot dog. You know, it just doesn't sit right with me. But I got to tell you, I'm a little more sloppy with my vegetables and things like that. But I also started to do things like freeze all that stuff and then, you know, turn it into stock. And, you know, that's because we have a lot of like chefs and 
food leaders in this community talking about how they do it, right? The Ben Biebenroths of the world, you know, and I'm learning that it shouldn't be hard. And I guess, you know, I hate to leave it up. I hate to chalk it up to just like marketing, needing more marketing, right? If it doesn't touch you, like, right, we're so good about sending off our trash. Our trash goes away. You don't think this way, but a lot of people think this way. Your trash goes away. It gets picked up on Wednesday morning. I come home, my trash can is empty. And I do not think about it again until I put it out the next week. And that's just problematic, right? Absolutely. I mean, there isn't in a way, right? I mean, it's in someone's community. It's going somewhere. And I think that the analogies here between the farm to table movement are apt, right? Um, You just go to the grocery store and it's constantly spring. Everything's in season and you don't care where it comes from because you don't have to think about it, right? There is a cost to cheap food. Uh, There is a cost to cheap throwaway culture. And while our services do cost money, it is the same as you're you're investing in that farmer when he shows up at North Union Farmers Market. You're investing in that that family, in that land, in the mm-hmm. responsible stewardship of resources, right? And that's what we're inviting people to do today. We don't have programs like SNAP, right, for food waste collections. Right. Um, but it, it is strange what we, as a culture, find palatable to subsidize and it is equally perplexing that which we are unwilling to pay for because we've become accustomed to things being quote unquote free right um it it is not free to send things to landfills if if you're not paying for it generations to come will and so the invitation to people is to see that this is this is maybe easier than doing it in your backyard, though we encourage people to do it in their backyards. But if you're a resident of Lakewood or Ohio City or anywhere in Cleveland, you might not have a backyard, right? Mm-hmm. So what are you to do? And this is where we're inviting you know, CDCs and local governments to partner with us to make those kinds of services accessible uh, for those whom price might be a barrier, because this is a defining characteristic of of investment that can be made and provide massive benefits both environmentally, economically, and socially, uh, or it's a missed opportunity. And we think that we want to seize this opportunity and demonstrate that our region, while very different than Vermont and California, can do it our own way and Mm -hmm. and become leaders nationally um, in sort of middle America Rust Belt town Mm -hmm. uh, because we have a ton of unique assets that other communities don't, right? We have an amazing network of community gardens. We've got access, you know, 40, 40 minute drive in any direction of Cleveland and you're in farmland, right? So mm-hmm. there's a really interesting opportunity for coordination and collaboration at a regional level to think about how we take urban waste and suburban waste and have that become a resource for our region's farmers who are aging, who are struggling to fight off sprawl, um, all while protecting our, our rivers and our lake. I think mm-hmm. that, um, well, it seems innocuous, right? A dynamic solution to food waste can provide a myriad of benefits that uh, address people of all walks and backgrounds. It feels simple, but when you start to connect it to waste, you know, waste stream management, food security, and climate, those are big things. But yeah. we all just have to learn how to bite off little bits of it, manage our own little pocket. Yeah right? Our own house, our own yard and be good stewards of, you know, what we leave to our kids. I think about it a lot. I think about it more as I get older, actually. Um, You know, there's just a time in your life when you get busy and you just don't think about those things. 
I get really geeked out now when I have to go throw something in my composter, you know, and I love mixing yeah. it and I like, I like throwing in a pile of brown leaves with it. And I think like, yeah, I've just added some brown. That's good. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think there's an education process that is one part of what you do. I think by the time this airs, your seminar that you're doing tomorrow night will be over, but it seems like that's probably something you do pretty regularly. So let's talk about Rust Belt Riders. There's a lot of facets to it. And I want to make sure people listening really understand you work with businesses. And so that's one, one pillar of your business, but tell me a little bit more about your, your home program, what it costs, how it works and where you're doing it. As you mentioned, we started by providing services to businesses, uh, myself and, and co-founder and a, a lot of our early employees, uh, worked in and out of the food service industry. So that was the network we had, but when those restaurant workers went home, when those office workers went home, they wanted to have this be a practice that they could continue outside of work. So the first program that we developed, uh, which started, I think, three years ago, was our community drop-off program. This is a program. It now has, I think, 13 different drop-off locations sort of scattered around the greater Cleveland area. And uh, for $10 a month, you can collect all the household food scraps, just like you do, and then make a trip to a community location, maybe at mm -hmm. a park, maybe at a nature center, maybe at a church or congregation and drop off your food scraps there. Um, think of it like a used clothes donation bin or something, right? Yeah. You drop off as needed. We encourage weekly, though some people do it more regularly or less regularly. But that seems exactly like the thing that should be sitting right outside my community garden. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we, we know that and that's totally spot on. And so we are constantly responding to inquiries from community groups that say, Hey, me and my neighbors want this service in our community. And we work with them to establish new drop-off locations mm -hmm. when we can make it work. Right. We, we need a certain level of density. We need a certain rate of adoption to make it economically yeah. viable for us. Um, but we, we are, increasingly wanting to have these drop-off locations in every community accessible to people with or without access to vehicles along lines of public transit um, so that this can just be normal right i mean we, we think about the lengths that people go to sort and separate their recyclables and then heave that over to you know their city hall to make sure that their glass gets recycled we want that in every community but ideally making it a little bit easier than than uh, than recycling might be at the moment. Okay. So yeah, so if you join that program, uh, you get access to the seminar that we're putting on tomorrow at no cost. Mm -hmm. We put on monthly workshops on all sorts of different topics, ranging from how to establish a raised bed to vermicomposting. And, you know, we're working on like a houseplant workshop. So we, we're really just trying to get people more engaged uh, and uh, build a community around this. Uh, and then you also get discounts on our soil products as well. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, again, I was mentioning tilth earlier. I really like it. How long does it take to make tilth? Uh, tell me a little bit. I'm picturing in your, where, where your headquarters are. I'm picturing these just mounds of composting things. Take me through how that becomes the soil that you sell. The food scraps we collect are one part of what goes into making compost. So the, the food scraps represent the nitrogen in our compost pile and the leaves and wood chips that we get from municipalities represents the carbon. Mm. So you want about three parts carbon to one part nitrogen uh, in a healthy compost pile. And so what we do is we make a, a shape called a windrow which is, you know, maybe eight to 10 feet wide and, you know, four to five feet tall. 
And we essentially turn that with a glorified rototiller. And from the time a banana peel comes in to the time uh, we have what we would consider to be finished compost, often takes place faster than it might in your backyard. And that's because we are following a protocol called the National Organic Programs Protocol. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meeting that standard allows us to have a finished product that is considered organic. Um, And it takes us about 30 to 45 days from banana peel to finished compost. Wow. Yeah. So it's a little bit, it's fast, but Mm -hmm. um, we've got a trained soil scientist on our team and we're closely... We have a lot of tips and tricks that allow us to do this a little bit more quickly than it might take place in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, after we have that compost, we then screen it so that it we have a uniform par, uh, particulate size product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that, we can mix it into our seed starting mix or our raised bed fill mix or our house plant mix, or just sell it as compost with some of the wood chips in it as well. Your information, your company website is rustbeltriders.com. There's a lot of information on there. And then your social channels are also quite good. I know you're really such a thought leader, not not just locally, but regionally. You're always posting things that I find interesting, uh, great articles, and, and they really reinforce what you do and why we should all care, You know why we should all uh, make the effort. Did you notice a, a rise in food waste last year because people were home and cooking and all of that? And so the follow-up to that is, was last year a good year for you because more people discovered you or were people like, I'm stressed out enough. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to recycle or worry about my food waste. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to have any positive association with a year in the throes of a pandemic. But what I will say is that it was a reflective time and it was a time for us to think critically and thoughtfully around how we are best stewards of our community and respond to the needs of our community. To that end, we really doubled down on our home pickup service. So mm-hmm. if the if the drop-off programs like our legacy program, we saw more and more people working from home, eating at home, needing ways to engage with their kids that was educational, um, people that were cooking at home for the first time maybe ever. Um, and so our home pickup service allowed people to be tap into a community hmm. while still being socially distanced from them, right? Um, so a big thing that we try and emphasize is, you know, the we provide data and metrics to people so that you can see this is the impact that you're you're working with us is making in in the community. And we try and radiate that out through our social media so that you see that. Well, it might seem insignificant that each week you're contributing maybe nine pounds of food scraps um, that we're picking up. That adds up when it's happening hundreds and hundreds of times over. Um, mm-hmm. We developed yard signs so that people can sort of like brag and show off to their neighbors that like, I'm doing this, you can too. And I think that in many ways, um, people decided to take things a little bit more slowly during the pandemic. And that resulted in, yeah, an uptick in people who used uh, both our drop-off and pickup services. Uh, We COVID-proofed all of our drop-off locations, provide sanitation and all that good stuff. But the home pickup program, I think, also was, you know, this unique invitation to get people to feel connected while being apart. I bet a lot of people made it sort of like a science lesson for their kids and their families. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we encourage that, right? I mean, I think that um, it's that kind of behavior that if you instill it at a young age mm-hmm. should 
should and can last a lifetime, right? If if this past year built any positive habits, we hope this was one of them, yeah. right? Yeah. I think that we saw a great degree of people trying to build new healthy habits. And we, we found that composting uh, was one that a lot of people opted into. And that yeah, well, you us- couldn't find garden supplies last year. You couldn't find anything. All of a sudden, everybody's a gardener. Everybody's building right. a raised bed, you know, like it was. No, exactly. And I, I think it's that idea of just taking things slowly, living in the moment, paying attention and being aware of what's around you and what's truly important when there are runs on the grocery store, having a victory garden in your backyard makes a lot of sense. It's a great way to get outside to connect with land and time and seasonality. And if you've got kids, it's a really cool biology lesson, right? Um, See how seeds grow and what they produce. And then you get to eat them and cook with them. And sharing that time and space, I think, is is precious. And in a pre-pandemic world, we were all just sort of glued to our phones and running around uh, maybe a bit faster than we should have. No, I definitely think as I talk to people at some point, I'll, you know, maybe podcast number 25, I will stop talking about COVID. We'll stop talking about last year because it will all be about forward. But it's really interesting to hear from people, business owners like yourself, most people have been able to find the silver lining. And um, even if it was just time to think or time to strategize, You posted something on Facebook recently, um, and I I told you ahead of time I was going to ask you about this because I just, I love a good brainstorming ideation session of like, if there were no barriers, if there were no limitations, what would we do? And some of the stuff that you listed uh, on your Facebook post was, you know, community food forests, highly efficient scalable systems, an information hub, composting connectors. And, you know, we did talk about some of that work that you're doing, but what is your vision for a community food forest? I just love the way that sounds. I think it's important to note that we we as an organization operate very differently, I think, than a lot. And I think that's part of our special sauce. One thing that we did over the course of the pandemic was we converted from a two-member LLC to a worker-owned cooperative. So now everybody on our team has a path to become an owner. And embedded in that is that we share in making decisions around the kind of company we want to become, mm-hmm. right? And so we practice this idea of, of laying out visions, questioning what kind of future we want to be building because it informs what we should be doing today. If I'm recalling the visioning meeting that we had, you know, the, the idea of this food forest is that we were really circuitously trying to get to becoming farmers, right? Um, so we, we started by doing the work that nobody else wanted to do, which is picking up food scraps. Now we're making compost. Um, and eventually it probably makes sense to grow some stuff out of that compost, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, we're dreaming big because we think that in order to divert more food waste, we need more infrastructure to process that food waste. But we don't want a compost facility that looks like most other compost facilities. So what would it look like if... Mm. It was a compost facility that was doing farming and uh, had permaculture design principles embedded into it and became a place that you can go and learn about grafting and about transplanting and germination and native plants, right? And so it's this idea that like, you know, we're not trying to become the Scott's miracle Grow of Ohio. We want to become something different. We want 
to do this in a way that is unique to our community, to the people that are part of this organization, and make sure that we're constantly reflecting the values that we want to see become more more centered uh, in in culture and in society broad, more broadly. Wow, I love the vision, and you're a great spokesperson on what you do. It's clear. It's under, you know, it's easy to understand. You've been quietly doing this work for a while and it is, it's kind of, a lot of it is unseen work, but it's very, very important work. And you guys have stuck with it for several years now. Are you about six years old? Started in 2014. Okay. Six going on seven, seven years old. I sort of remember when you guys started and people were like, what, what are they doing? (laughs) You know, and now look at you and um, just the vision that you just outlined is is really impressive. I wish you a lot of luck with that. I think that you have the, you definitely have the brain power and the, again, the strategy behind it. And it sounds like what you need are people to get on board and, and not just small partners, like individuals like myself or communities, but like you were saying, the municipalities and all of that. So I, I hope you get those grants. I hope that you find those partners that you need. And you guys are a fantastic resource for people that are listening to this. Definitely check out rustbeltriders.com. Get to know these guys. Um, become champions for it in your neighborhood. As, as we outlined, you can make it a fun thing to do with your kids if that's what it takes to get started. But if you're shopping at a farm market, if you're making the effort to, to buy from that farm and get it into your house, well, why not take the next step and think about what are you doing with it after? That would be a really great goal, I think, for the rest of, of 2021. Dan, thanks very much for this conversation about Rust Belt Riders and how we can all be more mindful about the role that waste plays in our food ecosystem and how we all have the power to make decisions that can make it better for all of us. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. CLE Foodcast is a project of Fork in the Road Productions. My sound engineer is Bill Connors. CLE Foodcast is a promotional partner of Chase the Flavor, the easy way to learn new recipes and professional cooking techniques with personalized instruction from professional chefs. Visit chasetheflavor.org for virtual cooking classes featuring some of Northeast Ohio's most popular and well-known chefs and culinary entrepreneurs. Sign up, get an ingredient list to shop, and log on for a fun virtual cooking tutorial. It's easy, fun, and you can do it right in your own kitchen. Learn something new and sit down for a gourmet meal that you made yourself. Come on, let's chase the flavor. Sign up now at chasetheflavor.org. Have a great week, and remember... Stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.